Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Talking Total Talent with me, your host, Ben Satchwell. And for those new to the series, it's a podcast and video series uh, that talks about all things total talent management. Uh, within that, what we mean is um, talent acquisition from both external, uh, so perms, temps, etc., to internal mobility of your current employees, as well as we look at uh, contingent workforce and gigs, specifically direct sourcing around contingents. For this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by Justin Prince. Justin is the director at uh, HR Consulting Group Connect, called Connected HR. Um, we talk all things TA and how to get your uh, TA function to a level of maturity. We also go in depth on his free framework around the four Fs. Okay, let's get stuck in. Welcome to another episode of Talking Total Talent with me, your host, Ben Satchwell, and I am really, really, really pleased to be welcoming Justin Prince this week. Hi, Justin. How are you? Nice. Good, Ben. Thank you for having me. There you go. I warned you in advance the intro would change from how I talk normally. So. <laughs> there we go. All right. So as ever for this episode, what we'll do is we'll get straight into it. Um, Justin, let's do some scene setting. Why don't you tell us a bit about um, what you do now and a bit about your background in HR more broadly? Okay. Um... I, my background is actually psych. I got into HR after doing an undergrad in psych. I actually wanted to be a criminal profiler back in the day. Uh, that clearly did not work out, although I think I found a fairly um, decent place to exercise that skill set in HR. <laughs> um, I've spent about 26 years uh, working as an HR generalist now, um, predominantly inside of the resources sector across mining, oil and gas, construction. Um, I spent a lot of that time physically on the major uh, construction sites. So um, if, if you know, you're in Perth and you're catching the... Um, the, the train to the Perth Underground on Wellington Street. Um, that was one of my projects. If you go across to the Heath Ledger, um, uh, uh, you know, facilities, uh, the, 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 the arts facilities, again, that was one of my buildings. Um, so, you know, I've kind of been involved in those sorts of projects um, from an infrastructure point of view as also then, you know, major projects more um, more nationally. I was up in Darwin for two year, two or three years working on this on the Impex job. I've been on Wheatstone, Pluto, uh, you name it, I've probably been there. <laughs> so I kind of feel like breaking into song now, you know, I've been everywhere, man. So I know it sounds terrible, but it's, it's, it's true. Um, I got into HR on the back of uh, figuring out that I wasn't going to be a profiler for a whole heap of reasons. And I've been really lucky through my career that I've had a lot of mentors that have helped me kind of decide at certain points in my career where to go and what to do. Um, so shout out to Pius Joseph if he's out there and he sees this from PVS Workfind. Uh, yeah, you were, the, you were the start. So it's all your fault. So everyone can blame you. <laughs> I'll, tag him, um, I'll tag him in a clip on social media. Yeah, you should, to, you should totally do it. Yeah, he probably real blast from the past there. Um, so I guess that's my background. And um, I, I spent obviously 26 years doing this stuff. About two years ago, I, I, I decided to start my own business. Um, I recognised that there was a particular need in the in the industry um, for HR practices that cut across organisations rather than worked in working in verticals, particularly um, uh, you know solutions that integrated things like commercial services, uh, data analytics, um, you know business improvement uh, technology. So I've built my business around that idea and that idea of solving problems. And, and, you know, we're here today to talk about total talent. And I guess, you know, in the current market, that is actually still our biggest problem. 
I, I was talking to one of my clients just yesterday and we were likening what's going on right now in the in the in the in the talent market to what was happening during the boom here in WA. It's literally uh, the same sorts of issues we're seeing crop up all over again. So um, it's good and it's bad. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it means we haven't learned much, but there's the opportunity to have another crack at, at, at doing it better this time, I guess. Hundred percent. Mm. Okay, great. So let's um, let's look at those challenges a little more. Actually, let's get straight into that. So. Um, mm. When one of the things that you and I have spoken about in, in, in the preparation was the need for total talent in actually being um, proactive rather than reactive. So mm. how do you help companies think through going from being a reactive team on that journey to sort of addressing it in a proactive way? Mm. Look, um, I, I really find that there's a, there's a lot of organizations out there that have this desire. They, they want to be proactive and they don't know how. Um, there's also a lot of organizations that think they want to be proactive, but they, but they don't really, <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, and what I've sort of find is that it's really about putting the journey in front of the people in that organization and the organization itself and sort of saying, look, it's not a, it's not a button or, that you push or, or a switch that you flick and all of a sudden overnight you go from being a reactive, uh, you know, a team or, or resourcing. Uh, type of organization to being a proactive organization. There's a lot of changes that have to happen. Um, a lot of those are cultural uh, and, uh, and and that can involve people. Um, the, it's systems and processes. Um, and it's something that is done over a period of time, not something that's just, um, you know, achieved very quickly. So, you know, we, we see a lot of organizations out there who are being successful in this space, who are highly successful. Um, and and as, as with most success, people only see the success. They don't see the work that went into creating that success. It's it's the old iceberg, uh, you know, simile. So I guess for me, my job is really to try and help people understand from a maturity perspective where they're at in that journey um, and how do they take that next step, uh, you know, in that journey. And at what point in that journey is, is actually the best place for them to stop? Because not everybody is going to achieve, you know, a fully proactive, um, you know, uh, you know, resourcing process. You know, some organizations and some industries just don't lend itself to that. So, you know, there needs to be a level of acceptance around who you are, what you do and, and what's right for your business as well. Um, I, I have a small model that I tend to use. Okay. It's the four. It's the four F's. <laughs> not to not to be, uh, you know, confused with the, the four letter F, although I'm sure there's a lot of uh, recruiters and people working in the space that use that word quite frequently. <laughs> I, uh, I didn't bring my bleep button, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I have to get the wizardry from editing to, to do that. Yeah. So the four Fs, um, with, and, and there's actually a document that's attached uh, to, to this um, to this session, I think, Ben, that you're going to share yeah, yeah. for people so who for are just on audio. Those listening on the podcast, um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll chuck a link in um, underneath the podcast. You can just click on and see the document that Justin's mm. showing on the screen. Um, yeah. So that's sort of my, my model there that I tend to work with. Um, fill, find, fit and forecast, the four Fs. Um, and, and what we talk about is that at each stage um, of this journey, um, you know, the initial stage being fill and then all the way up to forecast, um, there's a certain set of um, indicators and, and things that you find um, that tell you where, where you are in your journey. And I'll just scroll down a little bit. You can kind of see below that there's a whole heap of words. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go through it in too much detail, but essentially um, the fill stage is really about organizations that are completely reactive. 
Um, all they're doing is worrying about filling a role. They're not really worrying about the, the quality of the candidate, um, how long the candidate's going to stay. They're not really worried about the marketing or the branding of the business. They're not really worried about anything except for putting an advert up, attracting a candidate and putting that candidate in the, in the, in the, in the, in the role. Uh, usually time to fill in those sorts of organizations. If you can see the bottom, the bottom line there on the screen, I'll, I'll just um, expand it up. You know, you're sort of waiting for a role to actually happen before you start thinking about filling it. Time to fill is 40, 60 days. All your costs are really associated with job boards and large volumes of people processing candidates in the background all the time. There's really not a lot of time to, to store or attract unsuccessful candidates for later use. And, you know, as a recruiter, um, if you're in this space, you know that you're seen as a basically an, an administrative function and, and really not as a function that's adding a lot of value, just as a function that's just feeding people through. And typically line managers are not that engaged. From there, you then start moving into this idea of, um, you know, find. Okay. And, and in find, we have this idea that we're still waiting for the vacancy to occur um, and we're still seeing you know those long lead times for time to fill but there's this occasional fast fill based on recruiter relationships with candidates now the vast majority of organizations are sort of sitting in this place and they rely on recruiters to bring um, their networks with them when they get hired and this is kind of what a lot of recruiters rely on as well to put themselves into jobs um, you know they bring them with themselves this network of people that they've built up over time um, uh, the focus in this stage is really about reducing cost. You're still heavily relying on job boards. Um, there's, there's, you're starting to think about storing candidate data and you've got Excel spreadsheets probably that are owned by different recruiters and being managed separately. Um, and recruiters are basically seen as part of the operations team, but not really a priority by the operations people. So you don't get a lot of, um, you know, if there's any engagement with recruitment, it's really based on a relationship with that recruiter rather than a, 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 a a cultural perspective in the organization that recruitment is important. So that's fill, find. Then you, then you go to fit. Uh, here you start to really see your time to fill uh, being uh, reduced and you're starting to focus on how well does the candidate fit the organization and the role. Um, we started to see recruiters in the organization sharing data and saying, you know what, this list of candidates or this list of data that I've got over here might not be good for this particular role right now, but it could be good for a better role, a different role in future. Um, you know, they start to think about what makes a candidate good from a cultural fit point of view. You start thinking about talent pooling. Um, the real key here is that most of the data is typically administered by recruiters and, and you know, and shared between recruiters. Again, we're still probably playing with Excel spreadsheets and emails and Google Sheets and things like that. Um, so it's a bit ad hoc and it, you know, you tend to lose a lot of intellectual property when recruiters come and go. Um, the last phase on the journey is really this idea of, uh, of, of, of forecast. And this is when we start seeing the recruitment team as being viewed by the organization as a critical component to, um, to business execution. You know, you start having managers come to you and saying, this is our strategic plan for the next 12 months. These are our people plans. This is what we think we want to see. And this and, and, and activities and conversations start to focus in and around culture, people fit for roles, people fit for teams, and the strategic value that those people are going to be bringing to the business, how important they are to, to long-term delivery. There's also um, a real focus on technology when you start getting into this space because you start seeing people sharing data really uh, quite a lot. Um, and there's quite a lot of deep data going on with you know, candidates um, going into roles initially and then the, the silver and bronze level candidates who might not have got a Guernsey at that particular role being tracked and then used again in future. 
and there's a lot of engagement that's starting to happen at this level with with what we call talent pools or people that um groups of people that have been connected with um and maintained over time um as a as a as a genuine data set of engaged people uh, that are interested in that business rather than just a you know a job if that makes sense yeah it does so that's our four stages <laughs> that i see anyway no it's good um i was on a i was on a call yesterday with a higher education group and um they would uh, so ta leader has 12 or 14 in the team and they've just got a headcount put in place for strategic strategic workforce planner which is great so it mm. sort of fits into that that forecasting side so i've got a few questions around various elements yeah so in that uh, so we talk about benchmarking on every episode here like yeah. there's so many different ways to do it so it's great to see a actual maturity plan how easy or difficult is it for people to self-diagnose where they're up to um it's usually pretty easy uh, it takes around about uh, five minutes to, to talk about it and people kind of go you know what that's 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 us um and it's usually focused in and around how the recruiters feel uh, and, and how they and how they feel they're working inside of the business. The biggest indicator for me is really engagement with the operations um, and management teams and the kinds of conversations that are happening. If the conversation is purely uh, find me one of these, <laughs> you know, and then you kind of put up an ad and you go, it, it tells you exactly where you're at. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's not. It, I think the more difficult part of the conversation is usually what's the right um, goal. For this team in this business where do you want to be um and as i said to you before i think everybody wants everybody who works in the recruitment space i think has this dream of getting to that um forecast level <laughs> yes yeah 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 there are some industries out there that just don't allow that you may start to see elements of that forecast happening you know but you may stop it at, at at that um at the find or the fit, the fit level, you know, you may stop at the fit level and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you are being as efficient as you can be and you know that's the right place to be. I think unfortunately a lot of organizations and a lot of recruiters just um, end up in a in one of those levels by default without any real conscious thought. And there's no real recognition that that's either good or bad for that particular business. Yeah, hmm. um, from the conversations I've been having, we're still, you know, this is December 2020 yeah. and we're still in the midst of the pandemic. Um, and there are observations that the talent acquisition function to survive another economic impact like this needs to become more strategic. So I think that that's everywhere mm. though. Like we, we, you know, that's a bit buzzy at the moment, but the thought being that pure internal recruiters at the bottom of that triangle, as you've described it there, they unfortunately appear to be the ones who sadly lost their jobs during the pandemic. And a lot of them have come back, which is great. And it's yeah. about how do you elevate up and, and do those more strategic things so that when you know, the, the, the dip comes again in the economy, that they'll be better placed. Um, fair comment, what's your observations around that? Look, I, I think it is a fair comment. Um, I think it's really hard for the individual recruiters to have the kind of impact um, that they'd like to have. I, you know, I, I know a lot of really good recruiters who are you know, stifled to a large degree by um, their organizational structure, um, the leadership in the business, the technology they're using, the expectations that the business has of them. You know, I, I hate saying this, but I don't know if strategic is really the right word. Um, my view has always been that in order to be, in order to get a seat at the table, 
you know, to be a strategic partner, you first have to deliver. <laughs> you've, got to re you've got to show the business that you can deliver. Um, and unfortunately, you know, when you look at a lot of TA or, or recruitment functions, they're just not delivering. And they're not delivering um, partly because of, you know, the organisation, but partly because of, you know, how they choose to work as well. And I guess, you know, when you look at each of those levels that I put in front of you, you know, you go up to that fit level. Uh, up to that fit level, it's really up to the recruiters. And beyond that fit level, and you go into forecast, then you really need to start to see that organizational engagement. But recruiters individually can really help change the way an organization sees what they do, by focusing on building up, if that makes sense. And, and sort of looking at what are the key indicators, what are the key deliverables that the, the organization wants. I'll, I'll share a story with you just briefly, if I can, sorry. Um, one of my past organizations that I started working with, uh, when I started the, the HR team was quite dysfunctional and uh, particularly the TA team was what was causing dysfunction. And it was based in and around the organization needing to get people onto project sites within a particular period of time. The recruitment team had turned around and said, that's impossible, we can't do it. You need to go and change the way that you build your contracts and deal with your clients to give us enough time to get people to site. Now, I don't know, um, hopefully people out there watching this podcast are shaking their head going, that's probably not a good answer <laughs> um, because it wasn't a good answer. Because at the end of the day, as, a, as, a, as an HR team and as a TA team, we're there to meet the business's needs, right? Uh, we're an overhead function that doesn't make the business any money. We're a cost. So our job is to be efficient and effective at delivering the against what the organization needs. We just need to find a way. Um, so, you know, over the course of about eight months, we reinvented the TA team. We started to really push into the talent pooling space um, and we started to see some wins. Within 12 months, we'd actually reduced our time to fill down to about eight days. Um, for our blue collar guys and for about four, to about 14 days for our white collar guys. Uh, the benchmark that the business wanted was people on site in 14 days. So we were, we, were, we were achieving. And that then changed the entire relationship with the HR team. Doors started to open as far as uh, then working into the more strategic stuff from an HR point of view. So looking at engagement, longevity, you know, starting to get involved in, you know, building up um, cost rates for projects and you know, everything opened because we actually could deliver. And I think that's the big issue I think that a lot of uh, teams face is is they're not either understanding really what a business is asking for, um, so they're missing the mark as far as delivery goes, or they're telling the business that what they're asking for is impossible. And in my mind, there's nothing that's impossible. Everything, everything can be done with the right um, application of ingenuity, technology and leverage. <laughs> So um, one of the takeaways I'm going to have from that is to control the controllables. So, yeah. So it's like you can't, you obviously can't control everything. There's certain things in the organisation, and from the conversations I have as well, I 100% follow you on that. Um, what do you think is holding back certain TA professionals and TA leaders from controlling those controllables, though? Um, it's a really that's a it's a good question, and and I'm very conscious of the I guess the. Uh, the the audience that's listening to this um i'm not a recruiter i just want to be clear with that i i do recruitment because it's a fundamental part of hr and how we do it and, and i recruit things from you know executives down to blue collar trades i do the whole box and dice and i still do that now in my business so so i know intimately what recruiters do on a day-to-day -day basis 
Um, I think that many TA leads are not close enough to the data. They're not close enough to what their team are doing. And that's problem number one. And problem number two is that most TA leads are so busy just doing the do that they lose sight of, of what it is um, that their team is really there to achieve. Um, and that then means you start choosing um, the, not the right people. Um, you start seeing uh, misalignments between the individuals doing the work and the operations teams. Um, you, those niggles that you start to hear about all the time as a leader and people not being satisfied with service start to happen um, and you end up just fighting fires. So I think, uh, I think our biggest um, barrier to success is ourselves. Well, I think some people will self-diagnose, that's a fair comment. Some people will think mm. it's not for them and some people will turn the podcast yeah. off. So, yeah, so, so um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm losing audience. No, you're not. Just, you don't and that's just my, my view of the world for what it's worth, I guess, you know, and what do I know anyway? You know, I speak to these, type, these, these, these profile of individuals every day, right? So, mm. and um, it's fairly common for me to get, uh, I know we need to make a change, but I'm stuck in the weeds. And that's just pressures mm. they face in the job. And I completely get yeah. it. I completely, I completely get it. Um, mm. I, you know, I work for a technology provider. Let's talk about talent technology just for a second. What do you, you can loosely bucket the industry in two, right? You've got your legacy technologies that have been around for a while and sort of mm. penetration, and there's this new best of breed that's coming through. Um, mm. A lot is still on the old school tech. What do you think stopping them change? Look, I can talk to my objective experience working with clients and TA teams around changes to tech. Um, so this is not me and a subjective opinion. This is now an objective observation of um, somebody who implements technology as part of their business and, and does the diagnostics around how to change processes to make those processes efficient and effective for that business. And I'll tell you this, the biggest barrier I face are the recruiters. Those, that is actually where, where the issues typically come from. There's usually a desire um, or, a, or a, um, a presented desire to change, but then when the change is actually presented back to them and, and you're told, right, this is how things are going to change to really improve things, there's a rejection at that point. Um, and there's a real desire to hold on to how the work has always been done. Um, and, you know, I start to, you know, that reactive space. And then let's be honest, if we can do a little bit of navel gazing, for everyone out there, um, it's easy to be reactive. It's easy just to do what's in front of you. It's easy just to um, have an inbound order happen, put an ad up, process candidates, and put the best of the candidates that you put that you have come through in front of the line manager and let them choose. That's the simplest way of doing things. It's hard, much harder, to, to, to sort of work further up the line because you're then putting yourself at risk. You're exposing your ability to understand the business, to truly review and, and choose candidates that fit the business's needs, you know, you're putting yourself on the line and that's uncomfortable, you know? Um, and, and I think that's actually where, for me at least, my observation is the biggest, biggest barriers are to really transitioning from some of that old legacy tech 
and there's plenty of it out there and it's cheap it's cheap as chips and that's the other thing you know it's so cheap these days um to something that's genuinely doing the work um yeah sorry again no, 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 no. That's the whole. That's the whole reason we do these, so that we can get it all out in the open. So, um, you're right. So there is a massive change piece, and human nature obviously lends itself to resisting change. Agree. Mm. Um, I'm actually going to jump around a bit, and I'm going to go back to your your diagram for a second on the four. Okay. Um, how do you think that will play out in the future for total talent? So, yeah, talked a lot about there about external perm hiring, for example. Mm. Yeah. I think the forecasting will come in for uh, internal mobility, for yeah. contingent, or does it already and I've just misunderstood? Uh, look, it's already been done by some, okay, um, you know, and there are some organisations out there that are actually very sophisticated with what they do, um, have very lean teams and use technology to really drive the outcomes. Um, but, and, you know, you can Google them, they're out there. And, you know, what's really interesting for me is, is I keep bumping into organizations that are actually doing a really great job in this space and actually don't have tech are looking for tech that can do what they do outside of tech um so so for me that's pretty exciting um it's 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 it is being done unfortunately i think it's focus again you know there's so much we're, we're going back into a boom you know, as I said, we said at the beginning of this, you know, we're back to 2007 type of attitudes. I was talking to a client, you know, last night who were recruiting for an LV mechanic, right? That's a light vehicle mechanic, blue collar role. Now, if anybody's working with the blue collar trades, you know that finding an LV mechanic is tough at the moment because HD mechanics are just, you know, ridiculous and all the LV mechanics are being offered dual trade training opportunities. <laughs> so you just don't, you just don't get a look in. This particular organization and again i'm gonna i'm not gonna use their name but you know i'll give some detail you know they're off they're offering a 38 dollars an hour penalty rate for an lv mechanic on a six-month contract um now you know i called the line manager i called the, the hr manager and i said look you know i'm sorry but the market has the entry point for those roles at 40 bucks an hour the midpoints at about 45 and the high points at about 50. so you're way off the mark way off the mark right so i feel like there's still this um this this issue with organizations keeping up with what's going on uh, they put a lot of pressure on their ta teams to uh, respond to demands that you know can sometimes be a little bit unrealistic like this one and you spend your time just just churning you know it's hard to get out of that and i think part of the, the the leadership role from a ta point of view is to be able to push back a bit and say guys look unless you're going to give me something realistic to recruit for i'm not going to do it you're wasting my time right you know and having that um uh, you know the bravery, I guess, the courage to kind of stand up and say, guys, you know, this is not right. Um, data is always good. Being able to go back and say, here's the data set for the market. This is where you are. That's what everyone else is doing. Justify, you know, and yeah, we can put an ad up and see what happens. But look, don't, you know, don't don't cry to me when we don't get the, the solution. And we're going to go and focus on something else over here. In the meantime, that's actually going to add some value. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of stuff that I feel we need to get better at. I think the minute we start getting it better at that, we're going to then find some more time to focus on internal internal mobility. Um, and, you know, I think internal mobility is a huge untapped resource. And there's some platforms out there that really allow you to continue to engage uh, your employees beyond the recruitment space um, and, and allow them to maintain their own profiles and 
recruitment summaries to a point that you can then use that data for future work. And, you know, one of my clients actually um, uses a platform like that. Um, and we actually, we do their HR for them. So I know this is what we do. Um, we actually use that platform for tender purposes. So all of those organizations in that organization, in that, all those people in that organization are constantly updating their profiles, they're adding in training, they're doing all that kind of stuff. And whenever we want to build a, um, a set of data for a new project that we want to go and bid on, that's where we go. That's the first stop for the bid manager is the TA team to say, right, who have we got in the business that can do that? And, and quite frequently, we have people pop up in our searches that they wouldn't have considered. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a name, they're like, oh, I didn't know John could do that. I need to go have a chat to him. And so you end up with this this thing happening. It's that's really cool, you know? Um, yeah. No, so it, it can it can happen. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Um couple of times I've uh, getting a feel about the word data. Uh, <laughs> data. Yeah. I don't know how to say data. it. Reform data, data. Yeah. Potato potato, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well I just don't know what I am anymore. Ten years in Australia, yeah. you know. So yeah, yeah. um you obviously need technology in place to do that. I know that you've yep. seen a lot of systems over the time, over mm. your time, so that's why we got you involved. Um, when reviewing technology providers, do you have any practical mm. tips that you can pass on to sort of HR and TA leaders? Yeah, look, um, don't even look at tech until you have mapped your processes and made those processes efficient. Don't, don't go there. The, it's the worst possible thing you can do because you will end up choosing something that's bright and shiny and doesn't actually meet your needs. And then you're stuck with it. Uh, and the amount of TA teams that have gone out and done that, bought a solution that they've advocated to their business, the business has forked out the money and then it's failed. And the TA team has had to come back and go, oh, sorry, it didn't work, we wanna try something else. You only get one shot at it, you know? So you make sure you get it right. Um, if you need to bring somebody in to do it, then do it, do it internally if you want to. Uh, we are, at, at, at my in my business, we are, Microsoft Visio Nazis. <laughs> we process map everything. Uh, the only way to see what's going on is to visualize it. Um, once you've visualized it, you can see where there's inefficiencies and where there's loops in the process. You can go through the process of changing that and improving your, you know, how you work uh, and seeing uh, on paper then the opportunity for automation. And that's all that technology does. Your technology automates certain transactions and gives you efficiency. Um, so you can then go out and say, right, based on those steps being automated or that efficiency being created, that's the ROI then in that piece of tech. There's your business case. Right? So it's not complicated stuff. It's just, you have to do the work. Um, so that's the best advice I can give you. Process map, process map, process map, fix your, do some business improvement stuff first, then go to the business and say, right, we're efficient. Uh, that's what we're delivering now to the next step. That's what we need from a tech, then go to market and tell the vendors that they need to be able to show you they can do the things that you want them to do. Then choose your tech. I mean, let's be honest, you know, one man's uh, horror show is another man's heaven, or person's heaven should be, you know, non-gender non specific there, sorry guys. Um, you know, so just because a piece of tech goes well in one place doesn't mean it's gonna go well in a different place, you know. It, it, there's so much out there because everybody runs something different. Make sure you understand what you're doing. There you go. I'll shut up now. No, 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 no. You're, you're the guest. <laughs> so one of the, um, back from my CEB uh, Gartner days, 
yeah. we're always taught the, the the model that a lot of people know around strategy, people, process, technology, and there's other things you can yep. put in like data and stuff like that. Yep. But um, yeah, 100% with you. It's like you can methodically work through those steps. The technology is an enabler to those above from mm. points. And yep. absolutely send the vendors. You're, you're exactly how you're thinking through it. And yep. absolutely the vendors, and I speak for one, uh, we we love it when there's a strategy in place. Like our, our jobs have changed. And it's no longer our job to sell, quote unquote, what we do. It's to understand those three bits above and whether we can provide what you need and if so help you buy what can sometimes be a complex solution so yep. you know that's hence why you know you can't just magically make someone change ATS that has to have been that problem that they need to solve so uh, Correct. You on that. Um, I've got a round that I've created called the loaded question round <laughs> haven't you done enough of those already uh, I think you've already no, asked me like four of those Ben what's going on <laughs> no no way no way don't, don't, don't let people know I share questions in advance <laughs> When I read how to run a podcast last week, I told you not to do that. So, um, so in the loaded question round, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you three loaded questions. And these are the common reasons um, that people don't change or progress with a, uh, a change in their talent acquisition strategy to move towards total talent. So, um, okay. okay, loaded question number one. Uh, I don't have the time and or resources to implement a total talent acquisition strategy. So have you got that uh, expletive button handy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's, that's just BS. That's that's fear talking, uh, and that's somebody who isn't really engaged in wanting to make things better, um, that's a basically. Good that's yeah. right. Um, I, I like the succinctness. Uh, yeah. Number two, uh, I am concerned about the change management piece. Really, really good question because there is a significant change management piece in there. And I often tell clients that I work with, if you can't change your people, you end up changing your people. And invariably when organizations um, do transition to something um, more sophisticated, you see quite a lot of attrition because people, a lot of the time um, I found that people can't make that jump. So yeah, good question. So on, on that, uh, every episode I've noticed that I steal something or copy with pride as I think. <laughs> yeah. And I think your one that I'm gonna land on is if you can't change your people, you change your people. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, I wish I could claim that as mine, but it's not. Um, it's been around a long time. <laughs> all right, it's gonna be my LinkedIn tagline soon. <laughs> and then people yeah. are like, what do you mean? I'll be like, oh, I, I don't know. Listen to the podcast. Yep. That's all right. Yep, there all you right. go. Loaded question number three. Um, I'm not sure if it's right for my specific company and or industry. As in the technology or the change? The change overall, so changing the strategy mm. um, yep. and going on that whole journey. Yep. Look, I think that's a really valid question as well. You know, everything everything we have we do has to be in service of the business. That's what we're there to do. And unless we understand what the business really needs and how it needs us to operate, then we don't have um, the right to come along and suggest a change. Uh, I have a... A, a personal objection to uh, HR professionals that believe they understand how the business should be run. Um, until you've been an operational manager and run a business, you don't know. Your job is to try and help solve problems and facilitate outcomes. That, that's our job. 
Um, and unfortunately, I think I see a lot of HR professionals get stuck in this um, coaching and advising role to line managers around um, how organizer, how they should be running their teams and doing things like that. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. Does that, so, um, that's hmm. really interesting. There's a, I did an episode with a lady called Catherine McMahon. She's the chief people officer at Greengate. They're an aged care group. And her, her advice aligned to that was that you're the subject matter expert around what you mm. and yeah. have the confidence around challenging hiring managers on the bit that you know. So yes. it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. So that's good. Yeah. And, and I actually had, I had, in, I had a, a, a conversation with a young man, um, not long ago. Um, and he used words like coach advise. Uh, and, you know, being frustrated with the organization, not being willing to change. And that was one of his things from an HR point of view, five years out of uni. And, you know, great, great passion. You know, I'm sure he'll have a great career, but that's the wrong path. <laughs> it's the wrong path, you know? Um, yeah. And I think I do a lot of work with the universities, ECU, UWA, um, the Curtin. And uh, one of the conversations I frequently have with the lecturers is uh, stop telling HR undergrads that they know how to run business. Um, unless they've gone out there and, and actually um, worked as, a, as an operational leader who, you know, run a PL, run a budget, been responsible for operational deliveries, done that sort of stuff, you, you, can't, you can't say that you know how to do it. Um, and a degree in HR which includes some aspects of business does not equate to a full business degree. <laughs> Doesn't. And I so, think the goal behind those sorts yeah. of things is to have the emotional intelligence, mm. to have a, enough of an understanding of someone else's world to empathize yeah. versus yeah. So um, Yes, correct. Yeah. So I, uh, Sorry. And again, uh, I apologize. I'm a little bit outspoken in that space. And uh, yeah, no, it's no, just, you're, uh, you're perfect. They were the round off of my unprepared questions <laughs> mm -hmm. do you have uh -huh. any um, closing remarks or anything you'd like to share as we, we close out this yeah. episode look i i believe um very firmly that the ta function is very much going to be disrupted in the next few years there is technology ex that exists right now that um that i implement for clients that remove the need for a recruiter in the process okay so tech is getting to the point where um, the transactional recruitment activities that a recruitment team does is going to disappear so i think it's really important that um, people who do this sort of work now start to think really hard about um, the value that they bring how they do their work and and where they want to go um, you know the same sort of disruption is happening and has been happening already with mobile plan operators, you know, truck drivers, automation, things like that. It's the, it's the same stuff and it's coming fast. Um, and tech, unfortunately, does those tasks more consistently, um, more quickly and more objectively than any H HR or recruitment person can do it. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's here. It's not coming. It's here. And it's started. <laughs> All right, let's give you a quick plug. Um, .com, .com .au. .com.au, yeah, that's us. Cool. Where can they find you? Are you active on LinkedIn, any other social platforms? Yeah, we're, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Facebook. Um, find us on Google. Uh, we do a lot of really weird and wonderful things. Um, 
so yeah, happy for anybody to reach out anytime and say hi if they want to have a chat. Um, we're quite happy to, one of the things we believe is intellectual property is something that should be shared, not protected. So if there's things that you want to know about what we do and how we do it, we'll share it with you. We believe what differentiates us is our ability to execute. So um, just because you know something doesn't mean you can do it. <laughs> um, I so, um, yeah, I didn't yeah. know about you, but I'm an absolute believer in IP should be shared because yeah. so um, yeah. 100% big fan of that. And another reason amongst others to build the podcast out was around there's so much um, knowledge out there that people can share because the yeah. is difficult. I, I don't for one minute profess to say it's easy. Um, so mm. just, my goal is just to share the knowledge. So yeah. Justin, you've been cool. a gent. I appreciate your views as ever. I've learned loads, which has been great for me personally. And um, I look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks, Ben. All the best, eh? Thanks, guys.